Sam Bankman-Fried had spent a lot of this year bailing out companies that were on the brink of collapse. Now, the person who he thought was saving the day needs saving and needs so much saving that he's filed for bankruptcy. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, November 16th, and today Bill Cohan and Teddy Schleifer are here to talk about Sam Bankman-Fried and the stunning implosion of his crypto exchange, FTX. How did it happen? Will he be prosecuted? And what does it mean for all of his billions that were promised to progressive causes, including helping the Democratic Party? We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. We have a very special edition of the Powers That Be today with the one and only William Cohan and Teddy Schleifer. We're starting to do a little more uh, group activities here on, on the pod. But, you know, these two guys are fascinated by and experts in the Sam Bankman-Fried controversy and the stunning collapse of FTX. Uh, Bill, who has covered lots of financial collapses in his illustrious lifetime, has a piece up on Puck right now asking, was FTX a layman or an Enron? So Bill, was a little bit of both? Probably my number one choice for this would be a cross between Enron and MF Global, which was a sort of a commodities trading uh, business where uh, this is about 2010, 2011, the then um, CEO John Corzine, who used to be the senior partner at Goldman Sachs, and then both a senator and governor from New Jersey, decided to sort of take money from his customer accounts and use it to make a wrong bet on the direction of EU bonds and, uh, you know, lost money and bankrupted the company. I'm a little wary of saying exactly what this is yet because we don't really know. We know there's been some reporting. We know that the company has filed for bankruptcy. We know that it was a shocking dissolution of the company extremely rapidly, even almost on a par with the Bear Stearns collapse in March of 2008. What we think uh, may have happened here is that people would send their money to FTX exchange, try to open up accounts, you know, become a customer of FTX and either you know, no accounts really were opened. You know, that was all kind of a fiction and or the money that customers deposited uh, with FTX thinking they were going to, you know, trade in cryptocurrencies ended up in the accounts of Almeida Research, which was uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's private investment company, which he then used that money to make all sorts of private investments. And of course, that's extremely illiquid. After this run on the bank began and people wanted, you know, five billion plus of their money back, it just wasn't there. So that's one thing that we think happened. The other thing that we think happened is, and this is just nutsoid, okay, but our buddy Sam issued these uh, tokens known as FTTs. And of course, they're, you know, like any other kind of stupid cryptocurrency they had, you know, no real value or no utility until people started to think they had value. And so they traded up 
and became more valuable, but in there were, you know, lots of them, but they were thinly traded. And then he used them as collateral for loans that he received. And I don't know what he did necessarily with that money. And then after, you know, CZ over at Binance talked about that he was going to dump his 500 million of these FTT coins, the market for them completely collapsed. And then he got margin calls on that debt uh, that he got issued using the coins as collateral. And, and we don't know who did that yet. So anyway, total mess. The money's gone. Billions is gone. And the uh, question is, is you know, Sam sort of going to go to jail like uh, Jeffrey Skilling? Or is he going to kind of be able to claim plausible deniability and skate by like John Corzine? So, Teddy, speaking of billions lost, the Democratic Party, assuming he doesn't come back somehow and reclaim billions of dollars, lost one of their biggest financial supporters. He was funding lots of groups and thinking long term. So how much of a loss is this for the Democratic Party? And also, what was he promising? I mean, what was his his strategy for, for Democrats moving forward? Because it's felt like that the real reason for these donations was to garner some good faith among legislators who would be regulating crypto. So right now, Peter, everybody from the two of us bozos to the highest levels of the Democratic Party are trying to assess the blast radius here. Just how screwed is the Democratic Party when it comes to Sam Bankman-Fried? I am a believer that this is primarily a kind of a uh, a future cupcake that you're not going to get rather than a cupcake you had that was taken away. What, what I mean by that, this is primarily about money in the future that people had their dreams on obtaining that they are now not going to get. So Sam Bankman-Fried spent $40 million this cycle, which made him the second biggest Democratic donor of the cycle to date. If you look at disclosed contributions, blah, 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 asterisks, asterisks, asterisks. But play along here. He was a big Democratic donor. He was primarily funding his own stuff, though. He spent $15 million on an Oregon Democratic congressional primary. You know, he was funding primarily his own nonprofit group, his own 501c4 group, um, which I've reported is now sort of scrambling to find extra cash. So to some extent, it's kind of easy to, you know, the, the blast radius there is like, there are these groups that didn't exist two years ago. Now they won't exist going forward. Like the Democratic Party did fine before Spamkin-Fried uh, was a major Democratic donor. They don't necessarily need him. But when you think about the cupcake you're not going to get, there's the future that, you know, this guy was 30 years old. He was talking a big game about spending billions of dollars over his lifetime on democratic politics and on in democratic campaigns. And, you know, like, what would the Democratic Party be like in 2040? That, I think, is the operative Sam Bankman-Fried question, not about 2022 or 2024 even. This was someone who, you know, seemed to have lots of money, was willing to spend lots of money just in general, like whether it's on philanthropic causes or political causes, and, you know, the Democratic Party hasn't really had someone like that. You know, you mentioned George Soros, like there's a hell of a lot of concern. I mean, George Soros is, I think, over 90 now. And like people in the Democratic Party and, and progressive circles talk very openly about like what happens when George Soros dies. So I think it was primarily about what Sam was going to represent for the future. And now that has been, you know, uh, ripped out of their cold hands. And, and Republicans have Peter Thiel, who's not 90 years old. He'll be around for a while. 53, 54, somewhere in that ballpark. What was his strategy? It was peculiar. I mean, he had a, a particular pet issue, which was pandemic preparedness. So kind of preventing 
future pandemics, but I'll, I'll cast a little bit more broadly about kind of effective altruism, sort of the belief that there are these neglected causes, whether it's like AI safety or nuclear proliferation, like the end of the world, these kind of long tail, very scary cataclysmic events. That's what Sam cared a lot about. And so obviously that is not like a mainstream public policy debate, but Sam was able to push it forward into more of the mainstream by using his money to do it. So that was the strategy. Like the strategy wasn't really, you know, let's make sure Democrats win, you know, the Senate majority so they can write a finance bill, which increases marginal tax rates to 37.6%. Like it was primarily about what Sam cared about. What he cared about was peculiar stuff. Like that's why he spent $15 million on this Oregon race in May was because there was this, you know, candidate who really, you know, synced with Sam's uh, theory of the world. And lo and behold, there's $15 million spent in Oregon. That's why I kind of think the blast radius here might be smaller than we think. I know that's not as seductive a story. It's because it's not as if like, like when George Soros dies, the blast radius will be huge because he's like the biggest donor for forever. He's so embedded within the Democratic establishment. Sam is almost outside of it. So when he goes from, you know, one to zero, it's not quite as bad as it would be otherwise. I want to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to ask these guys just how Sam was able to charm so many people. Welcome back, everyone. Bill, you have a really funny passage in your piece that I texted a bunch of my friends when it came out. And basically, you write about this scene where... Alfred Lin, who is a partner in Sequoia Capital that invested almost a quarter bill, I think, into FTX. You know, they were on a Zoom with him and he's like playing League of Legends on a separate screen. And he's telling them like, you can do anything you want with your money. You can buy bananas. You can send money in whatever currency to anywhere. And <laughs> Lin, according to him, says, suddenly the chat window on Sequoia's side of the Zoom lights up with partners freaking out. Quote, I love this founder, typed one partner. Another one said, I'm a 10 out of 10. Yes, exclaimed a third. <laughs> I mean, this feels like some of these, you know, fall from grace tech stories in recent years that turned into Hollywood shows, et cetera, like, you know, The Dropout, for example, about Elizabeth Holmes or Adam Newman. You also met with him in person. So, like, what was his demeanor? Like, what was his charm? How did he build something so quickly? I spent probably an hour and a half with him last December, so 11 months ago. SPF was, of course, a big catch because at that time he was 29 and the wealthiest person in the world under 30. You know, I think it's kind of like this perfect storm that he affected, uh, a perfect sort of credentialized elitism that uh, proved irresistible because sort of, okay, on the one hand, you know, you got to remember his parents are both professors at Stanford Law School. Then he applies only to Caltech and MIT and applies early and gets into both and decides to go all the way across the country and go to school at MIT. And then, uh, you know, he's a physics major. So already, you know, the MIT physics major construct is almost, you know, mind-blowing because, you know, you know, who's a physics major in college, really? And, you know, let alone one at MIT. Plus, he's got, you know, the wild hair, the wild look, the total grunged out graduate student affect, you know, shorts and T-shirts, even in the dead of winter, you know, supposedly sleeps on a beanbag chair in the office, you know, just so he can be, you know, spend more time in the office. 
you know, neglecting to say that he and his, you know, he bought this $30 million uh, uh, five bedroom apartment in Nassau that is like a frat house for him and his uh, fellow FTXers. And then he leaves MIT, uh, gets an internship at Jane Street Capital, applied to go to Susquehanna, another hedge fund, goes to Jane because it seems sort of more open and free and, you know, tells them that he really wants to work in the nonprofit world and for philanthropy. The philanthropists tell him that actually, no, if you really want to help us, the best thing to do would be make a lot of money and then give it to us. I mean, he's, he's telling me that they actually told him that. When I heard that, I was like, okay, you know, I've been involved in philanthropy. I'm on several boards. I've never heard any. I mean, they all want your money. There's no doubt about it, but they never say that. So especially to like a 23-year-old. He tells that to Jane Street. The reason I'm going to Wall Street, the reason I'm doing this is because you know, I want to make a lot of money and give it away. And that's sort of this effective altruism thing that Teddy was just talking about. So when you combine all of that, his appearance, his affect, his ability to speak in riddles, you know, he speaks really fast and kind of like gobbledygook. And the whole crypto world is like that anyway. And he's already <laughs> a billion dollars. You know, he's already the richest person under 30. So it's like, you know, okay, he must be some sort of genius and you must be an idiot. And if you don't understand what he's doing, that's because you're an idiot and he's a genius. It's the bullseye of our, you know, stupid infatuation with people who are just utterly credentialed and thinking that therefore they must be geniuses. And that's what he either took advantage of one way or another, either criminally or civilly. And, and you know, now he's got a major league bankruptcy to deal with. Teddy, like, what does this mean for the future of what Bill's talking about? The kind of just like crypto evangelism. I mean, so many people in the last few years have made crypto their entire personality beyond a way to create wealth. I changed my Twitter handle to <laughs> .eth. Exactly. Puck is actually being renamed <laughs> Puck.eth. But sure, yes, go ahead. This feels like the biggest blow to that whole world, like beyond just the fact that, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, have really collapsed in recent months. But he was the savior. And now the savior is tarnished. Right. So Sam Bankman-Fried had spent a lot of this year bailing out companies that were on the brink of collapse and, you know, saving crypto from crypto winter. That was a cape that Sam was very eager to wear. You know, he likes publicity and this was good for him. Now the person who, you know, you thought was saving the day needs saving and needs so much saving that he's fought for bankruptcy. The flip side, though, is like there are always these moments in markets where you think that, you know, this is the last time, you know, now we've learned our lesson. Allow me to tell you about Adam Newman and WeWork. Adam Newman, you know, fell from grace in, you know, this moment of, of true free fall. And yeah, market's cool. Do you talk to like VCs at the time, you know, especially the IPO market, you know, now we'll do more diligence. Yes, of course, of course, of course. And then, you know, Adam Newman, you know, comes back a couple years later, raises tons of money from a tier one venture capital firm, or even in the shorter term, like, Yes, the IPO market was affected by the WeWork collapse, but for a couple of months. So I don't know, maybe I'm just that much of a cynic that I'm always taking the check back on this in six months to see if actually things changed. But FTX is obviously going to be no more. Like there are real consequences to that. You know, the Miami Heat will not play in the FTX arena. There will be some people who got money from Sam before for various democratic or philanthropic causes that will not. So there are real impacts to this. Just to quickly just add to that, there's the 1.8 billion that the smarty pants uh, in your neck of the woods, Teddy, um, are going to lose. 
And then who knows how many billions their customers are going to... Yes, totally. And yet, there's an element of FOMO, right, that always causes Silicon Valley investors to invest in companies like, will there be Sam Bankman-Fried's The Future, who have the exact same sort of pattern matching that Bill was describing? And they say the right words and the right checks come at the right time. And like, you know, it's not going to be Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think, you know, he will uh, have another company with enough money. But like, Will there be, you know, Bill Frankman Steve, who somehow gets $3 billion from Andreessen Horowitz from SoftBank to start his own company? Like, I don't know. I mean, this time time will be different. I think there will. Um, (laughs) Bill Frankman Steve, (laughs) hit me up. Well, Adam Newman got another uh, 350 from your A16Z, you know, Mark Andreessen, decided that whatever Adam Newman did wrong with WeWork wasn't enough to keep him from getting another $350 million from A16Z. Be a white guy with a striking haircut and people will give you money. That is the lesson. Hey guys, thank you so much for breaking all this down. Seriously, you know more about this than a lot of people. I would also be remiss, speaking of Titanic collapses, Bill's book, Power Failure, about the history of General Electric, is out this week. Go on Amazon.com. Order it right now. If you're listening to this, just, just order it. Just order it. I'm so pumped to read it. Bill, congrats. All right. Thank you all. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.